You're listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com. Yeah, let's, uh, let's turn our Bibles to our text uh, And it is First Peter chapter 4. <laughs> now, last week, we were, when we finished First Peter chapter 4, uh, only for me to realize that I had completely skipped over verses 10 and 11, um, and of course did not realize, <clears throat> did not realize that I was doing so until after the sermon was over. Right. Um, uh, prior to Andrew had preached verses seven through nine, and I had in my head that verses, I guess, on the ten and eleven did not exist. So they were in a window in an alternate reality. There, so we're going to preach verses ten and eleven so that we don't skip over these verses. Um, also, going to get rid of the Gregorian chant on my computer so that we can think clearly. All right, here we go. <coughs> In addition to verses 10 and 11, we're actually going to do sort of a weird compounded sermon here. We're going to do the original uh, sermon that is scheduled for this week, which uh, is uh, difficult to preach uh, for me, as difficult to preach as uh, probably it is to preach on giving, if not more difficult for me. Um, and that is First uh, Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 as Peter addresses the many, 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 many elders that he would be writing in Asia. Um, and many, many churches would have been reading this letter. And we'll look at that a little later on. So we're going to read verses, um, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, and then chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, as one unit, and that's what we'll be preaching today. First Peter 4 and 5, these are the words of God. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks, <coughs> oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. First Peter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, Peter says, and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And here's the main verb of the whole section. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray together. <coughs> our Lord and our God, we thank you so much for your grace to us, your presence with us, God, and your great victory over sin and death. Um, God, as Christians this morning, we want to celebrate with you uh, the glory and the triumph of the re resurrection. We want to be the resurrected people of God that you've called us to be, to walk in the newness of life that you've commanded us to, to be the people of faith, hope, and love, um, and joy, um, to be salt and light in our community. And God, this morning, 
to render service to you uh, with our hearts and with our with our minds with our lives, God. So God, as we preach your word this morning, we pray that you would be made much of. We pray that our hearts would be informed, our minds would think clearly about how it is that we are to operate as believers um, and how, how it is that um, we are to submit to a church government within pastoral authority. So God, I pray for your great grace, for your spirit uh, to teach us now. And God, we love and we thank you for forgiveness of sins and loving us and turning us from your enemies until your adopted children. We pray these things in Christ's good name. All right. Um, so, uh, chapter 4, chapter 4, uh, verses 10 through 11. Chapter 4, uh, verses 10 through 11 talks about spiritual gifts. Uh, it, it seems to be, uh, for whatever reason, that um, idea that many people don't really want to talk about because it, it, people believe so differently about spiritual gifts. And so, with regards to all that, we're not going to get into all of the particulars. We're not going to mine through 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at all the spiritual gifts, and we're not going to go to the other spiritual gift list in Romans chapter 12 and mine all that out. We're going to, as it were, stay in our lane, right? Does that make sense? We're just going to deal with what this text says. And this text is talking about two different spiritual gifts, primarily uh, the spiritual gifts of uh, speaking and serving. Okay, so that's sort of what speaking and serving is, is the highlight here. There are none of the other, uh, what they call uh, charismatic gifts, uh, if you want to call them that, or spontaneous, spirit-filled, as some scholars may call them, gifts that are here. So we're talking about just the gifts of service um, and the gift of, of speaking. And that, now some of you may say, well, I'm not gifted in either one of those, and I would probably take issue with that statement. I would say probably everyone in the room is gifted with one of the two. Uh, some of you are endowed with more than one um, spiritual gift. So uh, we have universality uh, and individuality when we talk about the giving of gifts. That is to say, everyone has a gift, um, and we are commanded in the Bibles, we'll look later, to not neglect your gift. Um, and also your gift, your, your gifting from God is given to you upon your salvation, upon reception of the Holy Spirit, which is at the point of conversion, uh, for the common good. This is the biggest, this is the, pastoral, this is the main thing that I need you to know about spiritual gifts, about my, my interpretation of it, right? And, and, and if you think clearly and biblically about them, that if your exercising of your spiritual gift is not for the mutual good of the church, then it might, you might not be exercising a spiritual gift. You, you may be exercising self-glorification. Does that make sense? Which happens a lot, right? There's a lot that happens in the name of the Holy Spirit that is self-aggrandizement, as it were. Right? That's a mouthful. Uh, self-aggrandizement, kiddos, means we're going we're to point at ourselves and say, hey, everybody, look at me, right? Um, and that's certainly not what, what we um, want when we're practicing these gifts. Uh, all right, so let's, let's take a look at what we're talking Read verses uh, 10 and 11 in chapter 4 just to kind of get it clear in our head. Peter says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks, there's the first gift, 
as one who speaks the oracles of God. Here's the second one. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him uh, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So there's almost this doxology that happens there. It's, it, it literally is sola deo gloria, which is, uh, you know, in all things to God be glory. And, and, and the idea as he's writing here is he's sort of wrapping up the idea of, you know, as, as we relate to the church, this is, this is, this is how, how things should look, right? And if you remember, in, in this particular section, we've been looking at the household code, right? How do we submit to um, authorities, uh, who are human institutions that are wicked and depraved, and uh, right? I mean, I, I, how are we supposed to suffer well in such hostile environments? And we have like legitimate specifics about what that looks like, right? Well, here uh, it's it's turning to the relationship, not to the not to human institutions, but s- submission in and service within the church. So, how do all of you and myself included? How do we serve one another with the gifts? that we've been given. Um, and then ironically, uh, our, our, our text in chapter 5 actually is a really nice segue into that because it, it, it moves into church government, right? And, and, and it's not talking about submission to human institutions, but now it's talking about what is what is redemptive, redeemed submission within the people of God look like, not just wicked, human, and even sometimes satanic uh, institutions, but what is, what is sort of biblical... Um, submission look like uh, within church government, right? Um, and, and, and that's what we're going to be looking at uh, later on today. So, um, let's talk about spiritual gifts. Service as a Christian, let me just say this uh, from the outset. Service should be, for every Christian, the watchword of your life. Um, there is, in, in my opinion, not a Christian that's not called to serve. Now, you may serve in different ways. Uh, obviously, not everybody is, is called to speak uh, publicly, right? But, but some of you actually have been gifted to speak. Some of you have been gifted to teach. Uh, and, and I would encourage those of you who have uh, to use those, right? Uh, or, or let somebody know who can give you uh, a platform or encourage you to find platforms where you can properly speak. And, and, and the truth is, if you're a Christian, you need to be gospel literate enough and truth literate enough, biblically, where you can speak proficiently with love, <clears throat> not in sarcasm or hostility or be snarky, but legitimate, tender, gracious truth telling. Uh, that's, that's, that's really important. But service, in, in terms of sort of it saying, hey, a spiritual gift, you should be serving. Everybody should be serving, right? And service is such a broad term. You could turn it at this juncture, Josh, probably to whatever you wanted to. Uh, So suffice it to say, if we stick to the text, um, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, so that in everything uh, God may be glorified. There are no specifics in the text with regards to service. The only specific that we get is that your service, whatever it may be as you're rendering it, may give God glory and that you don't do it out of your own strength. And that you, that is, you need to live in the reality of the fact that God is the one who supplies strength, right? 
So uh, let me just say that if you're going to serve, you're going to need all of the fruit of the Holy Spirit to do so. You're going to need all the endowment of the power of the Holy Spirit to do so. You're not going to be able to do it by yourself, right? Um, and that's, that's precisely what a spiritual gift is. It is a gift that is given to you by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, supplied by the Holy Spirit for the mutual good of the church and the glory of God. So my question is, how do you serve others around you? I don't know about you, but it's really easy uh, for me to get stuck in my routine, right? I have my Todoist app, and it rules my life, right? It sort of turned this once super unorganized individual into a little bit more of an efficient one, right? Well, I can celebrate a victory now and again. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we can't get into our routines and kind of get into our ruts and, and, and not see service opportunities that are around us. Uh, and, and let's be honest, some of us personally are less inclined to serve, just in general, right? We're, we're uh, like that, that's, that's not a natural inclination that we have. Some of you have natural inclinations to serve. When you walk into a room, you look for things to do. It's, it's built in you. Right, you just do it. Some of you, it, it, it may be um, uh, sort of nature. You get it from your parents. Some of it's nurture. You learned it from your parents, right? But whatever it was, that's sort of uh, your thing. We just got back from Arkansas um, a few days ago, Friday evening. And to be in our Arkansas means to be waited on hand and foot. It doesn't matter who you are, what age you are, what gender you are. You go home, you're going to be waited on hand and foot, right? Because... Uh, even the 87-year-olds, right, when they've, when they've gotten done with the meal, they're going to get up and they're going to serve you. They're going to clear your plate. They're going to do the dishes, right, and make you feel like a horrible human, human being for not doing it quicker, right? So uh, they're, they're, my family culture has always been one where you just serve. So, and, and I don't know if it's natural for you or not. I do think that uh, if you're going to serve the church in any way, and there are so many different ways that you can do it, right? You can um, serve the church by, you know, sort of being hospitable, as Andrew has, has talked about. You, you can serve the church by uh, sort of making people aware of opportunities, things around you. You can network. That's a great way to serve, right? Um, you can you can just render your services, right? You can look at people who are under difficult schedules and say, how can I lighten their load? That's what service does. Service is looking to come and remove burdens and weight from people, right? Uh, I don't know what it looks like for you, but I, I will tell you, I think that you probably need some honest conversations. I know I do. Some honest conversations with people that you love and trust who've earned a hearing from you and say, how can, how can I serve better? Uh, what, are, what are some areas that I need to serve better? What are, what are things in my life that legitimately need to be sacrificed for the sake of, of the employment of my spiritual gifts, whatever those gifts may be. And I think that service certainly uh, is front and, and centered there. Um, you get the sense as you read the text that you're not only called to be servants, but you're also called to be stewards, right? And um, Christians are managers. That, that's, that's, that's what they are. From, from, from the creation mandate, sort of all, all the way back in Genesis, uh, we're, we're called to be managers, we're called to <clears throat> exercise dominion primarily through service. That's the way the kingdom of God was. That's the way the king is. So as goes the king, so goes the kingdom. That's how it, it 
it pans out, okay? Um, when I think of stewardship, I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. is a verse that I learned very early on in my Christian life. Memorized it, and it sort of lodged in there in my brain, in the neurons somewhere, right? And it says, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. So, so we are, that particular verse is talking about us stewarding not our spiritual gifts, but it's talking about us being stewards of the Word of God, that we would know it well enough, that we could steward it, right? Um, just as if you were going to stand in and steward something for someone, I'm going to take care of this for you. You also take care of God's Word. If you're a servant and you're a steward, what, what you do is you are a manager of or a caretaker of or a protector of anything that God uh, su supplies for you uh, to uh, be in service with. Um, as Christians, servants is the watch word of our lives, as I've said before, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. <clears throat> the question to all of this service may be, why do you need to burden down people uh, by talking with spiritual gifts and telling them uh, to serve, don't you don't you know that the Christian life is about freedom? Galatians chapter five verse one is for freedom that he said is for. We don't need to spend so much mental and emotional energy, so much spiritual energy into being of benefit to other people. Uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't lay more heavy burdens on people, Pastor, by encouraging them to be servants and employ themselves with service in their lives. And this is what Paul says about Christian freedom later on in that chapter, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but in faith serve one another. But in faith, serve one So the very verse, the very chapter that you would think would give you license to kind of go do your, you know, sort of free grace, uh, you know, it's all about freedom, brother, just let me live my life, kind of a really twisted Christian worldview, which is so prominent because the flesh just holds on to it, white knuckles it, and won't let go. Um, that very chapter says, hey, don't ever use the freedom that you have in Christ. Uh, for your own flesh. The word flesh is sinful heart. Right? Don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh, ex what exactly it says, but in faith serve one another. Um, and that's uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Yeah, you, 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 you should never use your freedom in Christ. Uh, as a matter of fact, you've been given freedom in Christ for the purpose of service, so that you could serve, so that you and I uh, will be uh, people uh, who, who can and, and will serve. So uh, everyone has a spiritual gift. Um, you should know this. We'll, uh, so we'll just, we're not going to dig in exegetically, obviously, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But it, it is good for us to go over those. Let's just take a look at it really quickly, just so that you can see, hey, everyone has a spiritual gift. It's true. Um, let's look at verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Of course, Peter's writing to us about these spiritual gifts, but... Most information in the New Testament about spiritual giftings is given, given to us by Paul. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Right, so, 
So there's the there's the biblical sort of evidence for your spiritual gift, why it's given. Uh, a, it's universally given, everybody has one. B, um, it, it's given specifically for mutual upbringing. Now let's look at verse 11, same chapter. Chapter 12, verse 11. Uh, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Continue on to verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, uh, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Um, that's talking about sort of the universality and the individuality that I was speaking of earlier. Uh, and that is the fact that sort of uh, each individual has been given one, uh, and at the same time, the spiritual gifts are all universally given. What you've got to ask yourself is, what are you naturally inclined to? What, what, what are you good at? And then how do you bring that to bear? How do you mobilize that skill set and that gifting uh, into something that is a blessing for someone else to enjoy? Um, what, is that? what does that look like? Uh, Romans chapter 12 um, is actually the home of the other spiritual gift list, but we're not going to look at the gift. We're actually going to look at the, the text before the gift list, which is Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. And this is what Romans chapter 12, verse 3 does. It says this, God supplies the faith that is necessary uh, or everything that is necessary to operate that gift. He is the battery that, that supplies the power to that gift in your life. Uh, so God supplies it. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So God assigns gifts and God assigns measure of faith, and that faith helps you in operating within your Christian life, right? Uh, and of course, as we operate in that Christian life, this verse specifically is calling us to humility. Oh, oh there's another chapter. There's another verse three uh, in uh, Paul's letter that calls us to also think humbly of ourselves. It's Galatians chapter six, verse three. No man should think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Right? So that's, uh, Galatians chapter six, verse three. Lastly, uh, b before we move on. We are not to neglect our gift. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you, uh, which is given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Of course, this is a, a bit difficult because this is not talking about the whole church. This is talking about Paul to Timothy. This is a specific instance of uh, Timothy's spiritual giftings being referred to by his spiritual father, by his mentor, and he says, hey, you've been given spiritual gifts. Uh, don't neglect what God has given to you. Can we use that, can, can we use that exhortation to also apply to you and say, hey, you shouldn't be neglecting the spiritual gifts that God has given? Absolutely. Yeah. We we should and can look to you and say, hey, don't, don't neglect those things. Um, use them, employ them, uh, so that God may be glorified and, and others um, may be 
benefited. So the command here is uh, overall in verses 10 and 11, speak and serve well. I think it's really easy, right? We can tell our kids when we walk away from verses 10 and 11, speak and serve well, right? Uh, and, and think in terms of that. Steve Motier, who taught me hermeneutics at the London School of Theology, actually wrote a commentary um, on 1 Peter, and he said of these specific verses, uh, a really good summary of, of, of uh, Andrew's verses in verse 7 all the way to where mine ends. And it's a summary that I could not paraphrase uh, any more effectively. So I'm, I'm going to read it to you. Now. Steve says, uh, In the privacy of heart and home, Christians need minds that think straight and hearts that pray straight. In ordinary social relationships, Christians must love each other and offer hospitality. In undertaking Christian ministry, each must put into active service what God's, excuse me, whatever gift God's grace has bestowed, whether it is teaching or more practical forms of service. The believer must draw upon God's resources and provisions, and not for personal gain or glory. Rather, the object of life, this side of the end, must be the praise of God. Right, so, and that's really where verse 11 ends. Verse 11 ends with a doxology, right? A doxology uh, that sounds a lot like Romans chapter 11, verse 36, where it says, uh, to God be the glory, right? Uh, Sola Deo Gloria was the, uh, one of the sort of battle cries of the Reformation because it was trying to sort of steal glory away from the church and the papacy and, get, and put it back where it belonged, and that was with God. Um, and, and so likewise, with your spiritual service, with your spiritual giftings, with your life, uh, whether speaking or serving or whatever your gift may be, uh, it, it is there not only for the benefit of others, but for the glory of God. Notice that there's no mention of you in here. Right? Notice that it's not like, so that you would be X, Y, or Z. It's because your spiritual gift's not about you. It's not about you and I. All of preaching is not about us. All of biblical truth is not about us. The center of the Bible is not about us. Uh, it's about Jesus, right? And of course, the wonderful way that the Bible is wired is when a, a created people who were born with eternity set in their heart actually focus and are preoccupied with the Holy God and all of this truth, it's there where they're most satisfied. So uh, we, we can't say, well, you're, you're not involved because certainly you are. Uh, but when you, when you employ your Christian gifts as God has given them to you, uh, to quote someone, I know you will be most uh, satisfied in him, right, when he is most glorified in you. I can steal that from Johnny P. All right. Okay. Um, First Peter chapter five, verse uh, one, two, and three. We have fifteen minutes to lay out uh, an entire church and ecclesiastical government. No pressure. All right. <clears throat> You've been seeing today. What's your problem, Tipton? Okay. So, uh, verse one. Uh, to elders, and if you we want to take notes, verse 1 would be the place of exhortation. The place of exhortation, or that is, where is it that Peter's coming from when he talks about all this? So I exhort, 
the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory of God that is going to be revealed. Now, first things first, we just need to talk about what elders are. Um, in the Old Testament, an elder uh, was simply someone who um, was a wiser, older someone in a tribe or a village or a clan uh, who would just stand in judgment on local affairs. The idea of, of, of elder in the New Testament, however, changes because it has to do with the synagogue, right? As people are not always able to get to the temple, wherever they may live, the synagogue is the center of Jewish life. And in those synagogues, there are leaders, and those leaders are called elders. And it's from that Judaistic model, that Jewish model, that Christians get their idea of the Greek word presbyteros, or Presbyter, which also means, and there is no distinguishment from elder, bishop, pastor, presbyter, overseer, they all mean the same thing. Uh, there, there may be uh, small nuances that are different, but by and large, they really mean the same thing. The audience of this huge letter uh, are the churches and the elders, according to verse 1 and 2, of the following locations. Pontus, Galatia, they've already received the letter, right? Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All of those, Peter actually writes those names down in verses 1 and 2. So all of the churches and all of the elders are reading this. That's a lot of different separate governments there, isn't there, right? So each and every, each and every one of them, there is a local government. Now I've told many of you many times, and I will tell you again because I think it's important that you live with eyes wide open. I personally believe in three governments as sanctioned in the Bible. Government one is uh, civil government, which we are called to submit to. Government two is ecclesiastical government, and that's church government. Government three, family government. Okay? So the weekend, last weekend, my brother-in-law uh, number seven of the heirs clan got married and upon pronunciation of his marriage in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, a new government was born upon the consummation of his marriage. There was a new government. It was born, right? So that's a family government. So if you're married in here, you're also a part of the government. There, there's, a, there's a family government in there. Um, and of course, it, this, this family piece is important because the Bible says Specifically to elders, hey, if, if, if you're not doing family government and family management right, then you certainly won't be able to do church government uh, well at all, which is a real challenge for all elders uh, because so many ministers do neglect their families, don't they, uh, in service to the church uh, or in deference to the church. Okay, so Peter identifies himself here as a fellow elder. I mean, he could have said, hey, you know, um, I'm, I'm Peter the Confessor, right? But he didn't say that. He didn't exert himself or his position. He just said, I'm a fellow elder. And he also said, I'm a fellow partaker of the uh, witnesses, excuse me, I, I, I'm a witness of, of the sufferings of Christ. And certainly he was. And then it says he's a partaker, a fellow partaker, in the future glory that is to be revealed. Uh, the, the, the text is obsessed, Peter is obsessed, 
with talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ. He wants to see Jesus return. Hasten the day, come Lord Jesus, right? I mean, this, this guy talks about the end times more than the Gaither family band. Do you understand? Like, like that kind of stuff. Like he loves the return of Jesus. He's always talking and thinking about it. Um, at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, and now here again, uh, he's talking about all this. Now, interestingly enough, when Peter says, I'm a, I'm a partaker in the future glory, he's saying that from a seed who has also seen the present glory of God. Guess who was there at the baptism of Jesus when the thunder came from the sky and said, this is my beloved son and who I will please. You tell me that's not glorious. What in Luke chapter 9 when the transfiguration happened and literally heaven split wide open, right? And there's Jesus. He's talking to Moses, right? Um, the first prophet and Elijah who's considered to be the greatest prophet or one of the greatest prophets. And he's sitting there talking to them. He's Peter, in many regards, is not just a, a future partaker of glory, but also a, a present one. Um, so, um, we're... Uh, I, think, I think what I'm trying to get at is that P Peter is talking with some weight. So when he's talking to all these elders, he's doing so humbly, um, saying, hey, I'm, I'm one of you, I'm a fellow, but he's also sort of putting some, some weight out there and, and saying, there's, the, you know... Um, he's not charging them in the presence of Jesus Christ who is to judge the living and the dead, right, which Paul did. Uh, but there, there is some weight here. And, and now we bring this to verse 2 and 3. This is the real meat of our passage today. Though we'll be going all the way to verse 4 and be spending very little time on verse 4. Verses 2 and 3 are really the meat. So if you're taking notes, verses 2 and 3 would be the elders' commission and warning. The elders' commission and warning. Um, so why is this so important? Uh, it, it's so important uh, for a lot of reasons that, that, that we talk about this, guys. It's so important because every single one of you are a part of a church government. Uh, and if you're a part of a church government, then you certainly need to know what that government looks like. Uh, the second reason it's important is because there are a couple of you in here, maybe more than a couple, who are seeking holy orders, a.k.a. ordination. And you, yourself, are, are seeking a calling to be an elder. This is immensely important to you, as would Titus 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. All of this is important. And uh, lastly, it's important because uh, some of you have been uh, in elder situations which have been less than amiable. You've been in relationships with preachers, pastors, maybe maybe your fathers, maybe your uncle, maybe your pastor for 20 years, uh, maybe your pastor for a year, I, I don't know, um, who has uh, not exercised his office well. Uh, to the detriment of you, your own spiritual life, your family, uh, being your pastor, I, I know many of your stories, so as I'm kind of looking out across, I've heard story after story after story of yours, uh, and and, and it, it, it's painful. We should also address these things with great reverence and grace, knowing that men are just men, aren't they? Um, uh, but certainly they have to be called into account, which is what this is all about. 
That's certainly what Peter is doing. And he charges them in verse 2 and says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So the idea of exercising oversight is really literally saying govern. That's what he said. Exercising oversight means govern, man. Govern already, right? Do it. Um, be, Be the person that God has called you to be. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to your flock. I'm going to read the parallel qualifications. There are only three texts in the whole Bible that deal with qualifications for elders. They are here in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, in Titus chapter 1, and in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Okay? I'm not going to read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 to you. You can devotionally read that by yourself this week, but I will, will read Titus 1, verses 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, Paul wrote to Titus, uh, who is also himself an elder, that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also rebuke those who contradict it. Let's rewind. First of all, that's a mouthful, and quite overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, who is this person on the page glowing and levitating? Anyway, who is he? I would like to know who he is and where is he. Um, uh, Nevertheless, these are the qualifications for it, right? And and many of us, as we come to the role of elder, are certainly uh, looking at all of our inadequacies, to which I quote the Bible and have quoted to Josh before, uh, our adequacy does not, not, not that we are adequate in and of ourselves, but our adequacy comes from Christ. And certainly it does. Now, is that to say that any you know, sort of person can just come and quote that verse with all of their inadequacies and be qualified to be a, a, an elder? Well, of course not. Don't be absurd. There are qualifications for an elder. There has, there, there has to be some accountability here, Right? Uh, if he's a new believer, he, he, he can't be an elder. If he has a hot temper, like that's what he's known for in his community, deals off. No, cannot do it. If he has a horrible reputation in the community, that is quite the antonym of above reproach. He cannot be an elder, right? Um, so, yeah, uh, these, these are the qualifications. Rewinding uh, back, it says, shepherd the flock of God among you. So what is shepherding? Well, shepherding is just doing that. And oftentimes when we talk about shepherding, we immediately just start talking about sheep rather than talking about shepherds, right? Um, And it is true that today uh, there are a billion, around a billion sheep in the world. And without tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of shepherds, uh, those, we would not have as many sheep. (laughs) There there would be... uh, dead, 
left for dead. Because while the sheep, their lack of intelligence, in my opinion, is overstated, they're actually pretty intelligent creatures. Uh, they just, when they go wayward, they don't know the way back. That, that's, that's the issue, is, as we kind of observe them, right? Uh, we see as they sort of go off, but they just need somebody to say, hey, there's water, right? Um, it's that way. Or, no, 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 that's a cliff over there, so you can't, you can't step over that. You have to come this way. Um, and, and then, of course, you know, uh, Peter's, one of Peter's last interactions uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ was in John 21, and in verses 15 and 17, this is what the text says. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Those are these shepherding things that are coming around. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. For those of you taking notes, this is John 21, 15 to 17. John 21, 15 to 17. Finally, verse 17 says, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Elders are to shepherd the flock of God. That's what they're supposed to do. And the question is, what does shepherd mean? Because it means 10,000 things to 100,000 different people. So what is... What does all that mean? Well, here, certainly in John 21, it seems to mean that uh, the shepherd is to tend to them by feeding them. And, and certainly, uh, it, it is uh, our responsibility to feed you or to send you to water first and foremost, right? Uh, ministers are, are not looked at anymore as the chief theologian of the church. But that's historically what they've always been. Now, the, the, the minister is sort of chief Mr. Rogers guy. Right? He's, he's like the amiable, uh, generous dad-grandfather figure who can get citizen of the month every year. That, 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 that's not it. Or he's entrepreneur extraordinaire. Um, and that's really not the primary job of shepherd. So shepherd means I sort of... Uh, when anybody else who is to shepherd you well in a pastoral role is to keep you from error, right? That I'm to create fences with preaching that keep you within a biblical worldview. That it's, it's my job to steward heart and head in the right direction. And that when you get off the beaten path and I see that you're heading into false teaching, that I say, that's a false teaching. Uh, have you ever thought about this? If you even get further than false teaching and you get into heresy, then definitely you come with love and fire at the same time and say, whoa, 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 this is way out of bounds, and this is why. It's the reason that ministers are called to steward the Bible and be ministers uh, of people. Um, so Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus is um, being described, and he looks at the people, and he, he says that they are sheep without a shepherd in Matthew chapter 9. Verse 36. So there, there is a compassion that's there with, with preaching and teaching. But it's very clear that, that the minister's job is to, first and foremost, if, if shepherding doesn't mean anything else, and it does, it does. 
But if it doesn't mean anything else, it first must mean that he knows how to handle the word and shepherds people's souls with the truth. Okay, that's, that's what it means first and foremost. Now you can get into um, you know, the Westminster Confession and standards and say uh, they can sort of, man has unpacked everything that shepherding means, right? Uh, and you could do that if you want to, and I probably wouldn't disagree with most of the standards having read them. But nevertheless, this is the primary job. Let me quote John MacArthur here. Um, if I can, and I'm not going to agree with Johnny Mac on everything. He certainly is not going to agree with me on everything, but I'll quote him here as we certainly see eye to eye here. He says, the sin, the sin of shepherds in Israel, according to Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34, and I would write this now, Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34. He said, the sins of the shepherds of Israel, according to those chapters, um, is that they did not feed their sheep. Ministry, he goes on to say, is not about administration. It's not about programming. It's not about creativity and ideas and entrepreneurship. It's about the sheep. I spoke to a local pastor who went on a church planting um, venture, and it did not materialize. He was given a truckload of resources to see that it would sort of head down its way. And I was speaking to him years ago. Uh, it must have been the middle of Ecclesia's plant, about five years ago-ish. And I spoke to him, and he had, he had come from sort of a secular job in the secular world to come and do this. And I spoke with him, and he said, yeah, just it's, the whole thing's just kind of falling flat on his face. And, and, um, and he said, and he said, I, I really wanted to be a, a pastor of a church and just grow it and like, see it just really explode but it just didn't happen and I said well what are you going to do now I said, I'm going to go to real estate no that doesn't work the, 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 this sacred desk this, this post within this particular government has nothing to do with ambitious aspirations of numeric growth or it feeding our ego uh or it's certainly nothing on our bucket list. Mm -hmm. These are holy orders where we as ministers are called to love and feed and protect and shepherd the people of God. Notice that our text says, shepherd the flock of God among you. Notice, Preston, that it doesn't say shepherd your flock in my humble opinion, far too many ministers refer to churches as my church. It's not my church. It's certainly not theirs. It's the people of God. And this just ups the ante on the stewardship anyway, doesn't it? You don't belong to me. I am utterly responsible for you. And I will give an account someday for you, even though I don't get the opportunity to say, you're mine. I'm still responsible, but you're the people of God. You're the flock of God. And you're called those things in said nomenclature because you belong to Jesus. You're Jesus' own possession. You're certainly not mine. Um, and so it, uh, that's the calling of the minister. The calling of the minister is to, in fact, shepherd well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. Is that literally the dying words in the dying chapter of Paul. 
Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and understanding. We are to govern and govern well. This is where it gets difficult. Um, I said I wasn't going to go read 1 Timothy chapter 3, but it does talk about the home and, and, and what it looks like. And the nature of governance is that a man is able to see to the affairs of his home with some sort of efficiency. Because if he can't govern uh, his home well, then he certainly cannot govern the church of God. First Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household how will he care for God's church? Now, if we want to, we can write that out as a cultural command and just say, it's no different than greet one another with a holy kiss. Or we can say, no, that's actually real. Those are actually legitimate qualifications. Um, and they are legitimate qualifications. And we do have to run our homes well. And all members of my house being present except the sick one upstairs. I, I don't always do that well. Um, and I can do that not well enough to disqualify myself uh, from ministry. Note here in verses 2 and 3 that there are several, after the sort of shepherd, the flock of God, and exercise oversight, which means govern them, do it already, right? Um, there are three, but... Uh, sort of uh, not or not but statements, right? So not domineering, but setting an example. Uh, not for selfish gain, right? But um, eagerly. Not under compulsion, but willingly. So there's a, those three sort of statements, right? This is the fabric. It, 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 it's it's the inward uh, sort of incentive and the outward uh, motivation uh, that, that a minister is supposed to have, right? That is to say, if, if you see with your own eyes that ministers are shepherding out of these things, then that's not okay. If you see that they're doing it for selfish gain, then that's not okay. Right? Um, uh, one thing this is here in our text that, that, that we're not supposed to be dominating. And that's really unfortunate because so many of us are type A's. We're, we're, we're inclined to selfish gain. Like, we wake up in the morning with a type A personality and sanguine flowing through our, our, our veins with all the extroverted narcissism in the world, and, and you know, and, 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 and we, we domineer our flocks. The text says, we are not supposed to be domineering, but we're supposed to be setting an example. Uh, this language is probably being pulled from Mark chapter 10, verse 42 where Jesus says, and Jesus called them and said to him, you know that there are those who consider rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. This is what's happening. What's happening is that the people of the ancient world are used to a hierarchical authority system. Elder church, ecclesiastical government is, is put out, church government is put out in front of them. But it's not hierarchical in nature. There is submission, but, but the hierarchy works like this. 
There's a pastor, and he's the chief among examples. He's the chief example, right? And the authority that he exercises over you is given to him by God, but he actually is not the domineer over you as normal authoritative structures or hierarchical structures would. He, he is to govern differently, right? And then at the end of that verse, verses 42 and 43, leads into verse 45, which says, puts Jesus as an example, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as, as, as Peter's writing out all these qualifications and, and drawing from Mark, which by the way is most likely written from his memoirs, he's thinking about the great chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, now mentioned the chief shepherd, that Jesus was, the example that he was. And, and here, here's the thing. I shouldn't be domineering. I shouldn't. And if I am, God forgive me. And if I am, and if I ever have been, I'm sorry. Uh, and if I ever am, I need people that love me enough to come to me and say, here's an issue. Right? Uh, because this post is not one uh, that is... Uh, or should never be unapproachable. Uh, for those seeking the office, uh, the, the brother of Jesus says in James chapter 3, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, brothers, for you know that we who teach we judge with greater strictness. Uh, moreover, um, not only a message to them, but a message to all parishioners. Um, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. I want you to write that down. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Black ministers should probably spend a great deal of time preaching the qualifications of elders to themselves rather than verses like Hebrews 13, 17. However, I feel like they still have their place. Um, and it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul, as those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. And finally, verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Unfading crown of glory. The, the crowns that are speaking to sort of these crowns that would be given at games, and they, they were just, they were sort of crowns made of greenery that you would find outside. Um, and because they were made of greenery, they were, of course, vibrant and bright when they were first put on. But, you know, give them three or four days, and, and, and they, they, they didn't look so good anymore, right? Uh, they would change color. They would become brittle, um, et cetera, um, which is why this particular crown is so sweet, because it says you will receive the unfading crown of glory, which means that uh, elders have... Uh, new reward coming to them. Um, and of course, Jesus is our reward, um, primarily. Um, but it says that they will receive an unfading crown of glory in the new city. All right, friends, uh, that is a mouthful, certainly. Um, uh, let, me, let me encourage you uh, with this. Uh, ministers, elders, are just men, uh, and uh, while they have their qualifications, they're, they're, they're broken pieces of humanity, aren't they? Right. And so, however, God saw in his wisdom to put such broken creatures 
in such lofty places, uh, places of, of example and accountability. Uh, and in his wisdom, we, we have to go, we have to look at God's design, just like we do in life, and go, well, God is good. God's a great architect. Like God, God knows how to set up government, right? Um, and, and of course, in, the, in these areas, to give God the benefit of the doubt where uh, they, they need to, uh, no matter where you're at today, whether you've been uh, on the wrong side of a very, we can even call it abusive pastoral situation. Uh, or you're seeking the pastor yourself, or if you're just here today and you just needed to hear again, uh, or hear for the first time, um, sort of what church government looks like. I hope that you've been benefited today. And I hope that you'll keep your eyes, I hope that you'll keep your eyes on Jesus. Um, first and foremost and primarily, that, that, that you wouldn't uh, sort of uh, focus too much Honest, because if you do, I can promise you, you will be disappointed, right? I mean, certainly, that's just the case. Um, so, uh, so turn to turn your eyes upon Christ. Okay, so we're going to take the Lord's table um, today, and I'm going to ask Christian to feel happy, sir. Okay? All right, let's pray together. We love you. Thank you for your great grace uh, that you give to us, Lord. Um, thank you for the kind attention of these people. God, we thank you for a secular season of, of Thanksgiving, which can remind the Christian church of her. Uh, responsibility to live in the gratitude um, that, that that you've commanded. God, I, I pray that you would bring the beauty of the gospel to us and the glory of the gospel to us face to face so that we could see exactly uh, just why we should be the most thankful people in the, in the whole world. Um, so God, help us to be the believing believers, the repenting uh, repenters that you've called us to be. Uh, help us to be um, not only today recipients of your forgiveness, but also uh, dispensing uh, forgiveness man to man, woman to woman, as uh, we so desperately need to in our lives. God, help us to think clearly with our heart and our head about um, your your organization, of your people. Help us to think rightly about it and also about our particular giftings and where we are to serve others, uh, whether speaking or serving or whatever our gift may be, that we may bring you glory and that it may be good uh, and uplifting for others. God, thank you for your presence with us today. Uh, be with us now as we take your table. Uh, help it to shine light uh, in our airline and pretty things in Jesus' good name. Amen. All right, you're free to leave. Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, or hear more like this, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com.